0: Hello and welcome to Books on the Go, a podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna bailey Carris, and I'm here with a very special guest today, Sean Mooney from Sean the Book Maniac. Hi, Sean.
1: Hello, Anna. How lovely to be back.
0: Yes, it's so good to have you back. I've been uh, wanting to do this for a while, so this is exciting. And today we are talking about not one not two, but six books uh, with the caveat that we haven't each read them all, but we've got a very fun project that Sean and I are doing, which Sean helped develop this idea and I love it. So what we are doing today is we are each recommending three books for the other one to read that they haven't read before that we think they must read. So I've got a list of three and Sean has a list of three. So maybe I'll jump in. Shall I go first, Sean?
1: Please. Age before beauty, as they say.
0: <laughs> so I will start with The Transit of Venus by Shirley Hazard. So this is a 1980 novel. And, Sean, I know that you like going back in time. You don't mind picking up a, an old older book um, or, indeed, a classic or modern classic. Uh, this is- Not at all by Shirley Hazard, who I don't think you've read before. Uh, She's an Australian author. She was, sorry, an Australian author, but she lived both in Australia, but from a young age uh, in Hong Kong and China, I believe. Her father was posted there during the war, Second World War. And then at age 20, she moved to New York City and she worked for the United Nations as a typist, Uh, for many years, but she stopped working there to take up writing full time. So she's had a really interesting life. She married the... I think, literary critic Frances Stiegmuller, who was about 20 years older than her, he was a Flaubert scholar, and she nursed him through his illness towards the end of his life, which accounts for a long break between this book, The Transit of Venus, and her follow-up novel, The Great Fire, which we did on the podcast a few months ago. And which was also quite well known and won various awards.
1: And I listened to that episode and was totally sold on that one.
0: (laughs) Well, you could even do that one. I thought I'd do this one because we had done The Great Fire recently, but of course I recommend both of them. So Transit of Venus was her third novel and it was her breakthrough novel. It's about Caro and Grace, so two sisters from Australia, but they... It really covers their time in post-war Britain. And the other character is a scientist called Ted Tice. And the in terms of the time and the place, it's been compared with Lessing, Murdoch, Drabble, but very but she has very much her own sensibility. And her work has also been compared with Henry James. Um, And another influence she had and was a friend of hers and her husband's was Graham Green. And she actually wrote a memoir about her, their friendship with Graham Green, which I think is set on Capri, or it might be called Green on Capri or something like that. So this one won the 1980 National Book Critics Circle Award her style the reason it's one of my favorite books and one of the first books I read that I remember reading as a you know work of literary fiction so not that I read it when it first came out but it would have been on my parents bookshelf I expect when I was younger and it's just really beautiful really sublime her style is a mix as as we discussed with the great fire it's a mix of the poetic and the rational. And it's very clean, very concise. And it's been described as austere. So maybe this is what I'm into, Sean. Maybe I like austere books. I don't know. But she's very erudite. She in- includes uh, literary and uh, art references. But because her style is so clean, it never feels bogged down with that. It's just um, it's just there if you want it. But it, it just adds another layer for those who, who really understand the references. A lot of them would have gone over my head when I read this, but it just gives that feeling of of something quite rich and enjoyable and satisfying. So I don't know if I should go too much into the plot because being a literary fiction, it's not hugely plot driven, but it is about post-war England and I know through the Great Fire that that was a period of time and the the repercussions of the war was something she was interested in um, and had first-hand experience of so that's the sort of backdrop and then it's of course it's about the relationships and um, various class issues and and all of that good fun stuff so
1: here I do have a question. Yes, everything you've said has been very seductive, except when you compared it to Henry James, because I hate Henry James.
0: Oh, that's so interesting because I haven't I haven't read Henry James. I did read the okay. Colin Toy Bean book about him, which was either the Magician or the Master. Yeah, I remember uh, the two.
1: Master, I believe. Yeah, uh,
0: but I haven't read Henry James, so I can't even tell you if that's correct or not. Okay, well, I'm going
1: to assume that it's, I'm going to hope that it's not, because otherwise I'm very interested. Uh, Henry James, I took a graduate English course on Henry James, and uh, it just spoiled him for me completely. I just think he's a, he was an old poop that couldn't stop fiddling with the sentences. He endlessly revised his complete works until he died, and he completely changed the style to make the sentences more elaborate and spidery, and I just couldn't stand him by the end. One of his novels he didn't think worth revising, and that's the only one I like: The Bostonians.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's also about lesbians in Boston. So it was very interesting. <laughs> one more very quick thing about Henry James. It's maybe apocryphal, but I heard of one of Canada's most preeminent authors quote Thomas Hardy, who said of Henry James, he chewed more than he bit off. <laughs>
0: That's a great quote. I love well, it. I, so. I it sounds as if his work reads in as as quite laboured, which doesn't appeal to me. It sounds yes. tartish to me. So I don't oh, and I haven't read her. I'm, I'm not into her, but we let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we don't but, have time. <laughs> but I would say Shirley has a has a very elegant style. So I it, to me, it doesn't read like someone who's fiddling around too much with their sentences. But look, this could be a high risk move for you, Sean, with the Henry well, James comparison. It might
1: be, but I, I also shouldn't let that putting me out too much off because you know elegant prose is up my street just not henry james's
0: <laughs> that was the transit of venus by shirley hazard and sean what do you have
1: well i'm so excited to uh, uh, recommend three books to you and to actually find three that you didn't know or at least that you hadn't <laughs> read this is a 2022 american novel called true biz by sarah novich and sarah novich is a deaf author And this is a deaf novel. It is extremely deaf. In other words, this novel is immersed in deaf culture. And all of the characters in it are either deaf or um, connected to. Parents of deaf people or so on. But teachers at deaf schools. It's set in fairly modern times. And the protagonist, Charlie, is a high school, maybe senior or something. She's 16 or 17. And she has have been raised by hearing parents, and she got the cochlear implant, the, the thing they put right inside to, get, to give you something akin to hearing, and it didn't work, and it totally screwed up her life. So she was put in, quote-unquote, regular classroom, and she only could ever figure out about 30% of what was going on around her, and she was just lost. So her education was just a, a mess. As the story opens, she has finally, her parents have split up because they couldn't agree on what their daughter needed, And she has been enrolled in a deaf school. And her father has started learning sign language with her because she'd never learned it. And then she uh, gets into a school where everybody communicates in sign language. And she uh, finds her people. There's another uh, one of the boys at that school um, comes from deaf royalty. He comes from three or four generations of a deaf family. That have been pioneers in setting up the school and uh, all kinds of human rights uh, achievements um, for the for deaf people in that part of America. The crisis in that family is that his baby sister is born hearing, so we get the other the flip side of that. And the uh, principal of the school is a child of deaf parents, and all kinds of political, psychological, historical things are blended into this story. And the way that um, sign language is rendered on the page is fascinating. And there are actually handouts from the lessons where the kids are learning about deaf history and deaf culture and sign language that are inserted in the book. So it's kind of almost like a, I was going to say multimedia. That's not right. But it's uh, uh, telling the story through a whole bunch of uh, different visual innovations. i found it an absolutely gripping read. I didn't know very much about deaf culture or the deaf experience. And this was a real eye opener. It was extremely successfully didactic. I learned so much, and I would ha- I don't think in my life I, I don't think ever in my life have I, have I used the adjective didactic in a positive way. This was an extremely positive experience. Also, great plot, character work was very layered.
0: It wow. is
1: by Sarah Novich?
0: Fantastic. Well, I am intrigued by this one because I think I read her previous. Did she write *Girl at War*? He did. Yes, I read that, and I remember we did it for book club, and I remember I really liked it. So I'm I'm halfway there, and okay, I'm good.
1: And I want to read that one now.
0: Yes, so she's had a fascinating and- life as well. She's got an interesting uh, backstory. Um, I'm sure she
1: does. She or her family come from um, somewhere in the Balkans, Bosnia, yes. perhaps.
0: I was going to say Croatia but I could be Croatia I could That's be wrong maybe, but I think right. that one was about the the war around Croatia and Serbia yes well
1: and this one is uh, a whole other conflict because the conflict between those who see deafness as only a disability something to be eradicated through cochlear implants and through teaching um, lip reading and integrating wherever possible and the characters who celebrate and Defend deaf culture. And in fact, the whole thing boils down to one pair of phrases. Hearing loss is a very familiar phrase in our culture, hearing loss. Mm. And in deaf culture, they call it deaf gain.
0: Right. So interesting. Well, it's like a lot of, in different parts of the world, but thinking of Australia, a lot of communities where you have the Indigenous, various Indigenous communities, there are over 250 Indigenous Australian language groups, and there were more that have been lost, but they're trying to now preserve them because so much of the language was lost because of that pressure to assimilate and to to speak English and not to speak their own language, and that's happened across the world. But is that similar drive, isn't it, that people want everybody to fit in?
1: Everybody to be the same and to just integrate, Mm. yeah.
0: Oh Well, that sounds very interesting, Sean. I hadn't quite, I don't think I knew that she had a new book out, so I'm excited to see.
1: Last year, and I had did it as a buddy read very recently, and uh, just loved it. And in fact, went went immediately to read a memoir by a deaf author who comes from the city I live in to get get some more perspective on it. But it really was an eye opener and a really good novel. Just wonderful. I
0: thought. Yeah, she's, she's a good writer. So my next one is YN by Esther Yee, which I don't have on me. So I'll just, I'll just hold this up. Um, so Esther Yi is a Korean author but has also lived or is living in Berlin and this book is it's a short novel it's partly set in Berlin but I I know that you read translated fiction and Korean fiction I think this Absolutely. is not translated in fact I should I should really double check that I'll put it in the show notes if it was translated but I have a feeling um it is in English so it's her debut novel it's starts off in Berlin. It's an unnamed narrator who thinks she's above pop culture and all of those sort of lowbrow things. But Sounds
1: like Sean the book maniac.
0: <laughs> yes. So Sean, it might diverge from, from your life at this point. Her friend drags her to a K-pop show of a fairly, I won't say run of the mill, but a K-pop band that could be recognizable as any number of the current K-pop bands. And she becomes obsessed with one of the singers called Moon. So each band member has a different celestial name. There's the sun, the moon, various other ones. Um, So he's Moon and he has these amazing sort of liquid dance moves and she just falls for Moon head over heels. And that becomes her obsession. So she starts watching his live stream, which is all this is all I I gather, quite true to life. I'm not a K-pop aficionado, but I think they do sort of tune into their live stream and so you see them in their bedroom. So the fans really feel as if they are connecting with these Um, stars. And so he's on the live stream and she's watching him, but she really believes he's speaking to her and she becomes totally obsessed. So the first half is in Berlin with this developing obsession. She starts writing fan fiction. And so hence the title, because YN is short for your name. So you write the fan fiction but you insert your name here is the premise of it, and so all of these stories. So concurrently with the the main real life, as it were, plot is the plot of her fan fiction where she and he are coming together in real in in her dreams, I suppose, it, as it were. And so then, of course, she has to go on the Odyssey to Seoul, South Korea to meet him because really this can only work when they in real life get together as she believes they will because she's becoming quite unhinged and she does go and find where their headquarters because it's a it's a corporate operation this k-pop band she goes to find the headquarters so it's got a satirical absurdist tone to it but it's also really interesting and whilst it's a bit too surreal and dreamy for me to say it's my usual, although I don't mind a bit surreal, but it's, you know, I don't normally go for that, but it really stuck with me. So I wanted to recommend it because I think if you like Korean literature and something a bit quirky, and that's quite, I thought it was very strong. It really made me think and it was, yeah, it just is one of those books that haunts you after you finish reading it. So that's YN by Esther Yi, and it was praised in there was a recent book review by Kat Jang and the title of it was finally some freaky K-pop writing because her, she was saying a lot of the writing about K-pop is so sanitized and they're seen as very safe and very awesome and yes. And so this one goes a bit more freaky in her words. So that's YN.
1: Okay, well, so it's time for me to come out of the closet because you obviously don't know me as well as you thought you did,
0: (laughs) Anna. I love K-pop. Oh, you do? Oh, Sean, this is the book for you then. You will love it. When I started teaching
1: ESL in Vancouver, this is for going 15 years, uh, half the students in school were Korean. Just came over to Vancouver for a year or two years to to learn English. And they introduced me to so much K-pop and the, the famous singer, the most popular singer then, so I was really taken with the names of the singers in this novel because you said that one of them was called Moon and they all had names like that. The most popular uh, K-pop singer at 15 years ago was Rain. His name was Rain. Yes. I've forgotten what his real Korean name was. And he was so hot. He was a beautiful, great singer, but his music videos were like, they were just amazing. So, so yes, I've been following K-pop, not, not as obsessively as in this novel, but I'm interested in K-pop and I love it. So yeah, that sounds really intriguing.
0: I think you have to read it because it is based, you'll get even more of the references than I did because according to the, this article, they, she even references the way that they take on these grandiose ideas and quests and and art references. So for example, in this one, they read a Korean translation of Sophocles and they become fixated on Oedipus Rex's decision to gouge his al- eyes out. So the album, is a statement of protest against Oedipus's capitulation to darkness, celebrating too much seeing, too much light. And then she compares BTS's album Map of the Soul, which was based on Jungian psychoanalysis and the boy band 17 recreated Dead Poets Society. So it's sort of it's got a lot of these references that you'd enjoy. It, there is a parody element to it. And even the names, as you say, there's rain, it sounds like it all brings. Quite true to the K-pop hmm. scene. There you go. Hmm,
1: very intriguing.
0: Yes. So w- now, what have you got next?
1: That's one I have. One is for close from close to where you're situated. This is a New Zealand novel, Loop Tracks by Sue Orr. Have you heard of this?
0: I have not. Oh, Sue Orr. Sue Orr. That rings a bell, but I have not heard Loop Tracks. I can't recall. No.
1: Well, I'm your go-to guy whenever you want to know about literature that's close to your home. There, Anna. <laughs> Yes, I mean, it's so strange that I know about it.
0: Yeah, but I, I, had a,
1: I did, uh, somebody told me about it. And I, I have a series on my channel called Bite Size Book Chats, where I interview readers from around the world about a book they've recently read and loved. And I just kind of stalk my Goodreads and stuff for guests and a New Zealand reader on my show and she raved about this and I wanted it so bad it wasn't available outside of New Zealand. You had to pay like an arm and a leg. It's since become more widely available so you'll be able to get it if this is the one you choose. Access will be easy for you.
0: Well now I want it more if it's hard to get. Now I want to read it. I wanted it so bad that I paid to get it
1: shipped from the publisher in New Zealand and it cost an arm and a leg and I'm happy to say that it was worth every penny. Um, Loop Tracks opens in 1978. There's a, the protagonist, Charlie. She is 16, 1978, mm-hmm. Auckland. Abortion has just been banned. She's pregnant. Her parents pay to send her to Sydney for an abortion, and the plane is delayed on the tarmac. That's the opening chapter. I'm not going to say what happens after that, but then the next, there's a huge time jump to 2019, just before COVID, and now she's in Wellington, and she is... Much older. She's middle aged, upper, maybe she's pushing 60, perhaps. And she lives with her grandson. And again, it's for the reader to discover the, how these people all came into her life. But uh, her grandson is on the spectrum. So he's uh, maybe Asperger's or something. I don't think they use that word anymore, but he's high functioning and has issues. And she's very protective of him. And he is maybe 20 at university and he gets a girlfriend. And a lot of the patterns that developed early in Charlie, the protagonist's life, impact the way that she has raised her grandson from since he was about five years old and how meddlesome or overly protective she is when he gets into a relationship because, you know, his new girlfriend wants to take her out to a nightclub and her grandson, is 20 year old, he will freak out if all this noise in a nightclub. But. But he's actually ready to step out and and with his new girlfriend to experience more things. And so the relationship between Grandma Charlie and the new girlfriend is fascinating. And then father, her son, who she's very estranged from, comes back into the picture. And then the story gets a little dark. And then COVID hits. And it's also uh, shortly after COVID, there's another, uh, what's her name? Everybody's favorite world leader, Jacinda Ardern.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Jacinda Ardern. She's up for re-election and all of that. So there's so much politics in it. And that's one of the things in my experience that can most easily go wrong is when the politics hits too heavily on the story. And for me, this was pitch perfect. There was a lot of politics about the world choice movement and all kinds of things with COVID and so on. And uh, even euthanasia comes into it quite strongly. And it just, bit it it was a page turner and it was layered between it was such a character-driven novel in the sense that well the title is loop tracks so if you know anything about music and i don't so i'm not going to try to explain it but (laughs) that title is the image of things that are experiences from early in life that just keep looping around and uh having impact on and creating problems later in life. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time. I loved it so much.
0: Wow, Sean, that's a big call. That's yes, a big call. It sounds, definitely. Like, it sounds like there's a lot in it. It's quite...
1: There is a, there's lot, a in lot in it. It's not a lot going on. It's a 300 pages. and yeah, Okay,
0: um, so not too long.
1: It's not too long. Beautifully written. The characters are just so indelibly, they just jump off the page.
0: Wonderful. Well, I want it, especially when you said it was hard to get. And now that you've said it's one of the best books you've read in a long time, I almost don't need to know what happens in it. It's just, it's hard to get. So I want it more. So that was Loop Tracks by Sue Orr.
1: Loop Tracks by Sue Orr. And it's now available at least um, as ebook or audiobook. And I previewed the audio. I didn't do it on audio. But the audiobook, the preview that I did was wonderful, lovely New Zealand accent. So
0: Okay. So and Sue Orr's a New Zealand author, I think you said. She so. is. Very good. Well, my third book is Wifedom by Anna Funder. So I and this could be risky because I'll tell you why in a minute. So Anna Funder is an Australian author, but she's quite international. She's also done some work. For, uh, human She used to be a human rights lawyer. And I think she has done some work with the United Nations and she's lived uh, overseas. So her work, does uh, have an international feel to me, but also because one of her earlier books, which was very successful, was a non-fiction book called Stasi Land, which I don't know if you read. It's Berlin and it's about East Berlin, about the wall. And she really interviews from memory, it was I think more than six, but a, a selection of people who were affected by the wall going up and what that meant for them. So for example, the person with the sick boy who used to go to the West Berlin to hospital every day, suddenly the wall goes up overnight, they can't get to the hospital, something. That's just from memory. I read it many, many years ago. It was very highly regarded and won various awards. And then her first novel was called All That I Am. And that won, I want to say it won the Miles Franklin. I should have looked this up, Sean. Hang on a second. So her first novel was called All That I Am, and that was an international bestseller. Yes, starsyland won the UK's Premier Award for nonfiction, the Sir Samuel Johnson Prize, and All That I Am won the Miles Franklin Award, which is our most prestigious literary award for Australian fiction. Now, Wifedom is her latest novel. It's just come out. I've just said novel, but it's actually a non, I would call it a non-fiction book. And it's almost a biography about Eileen Orwell, uh, George Orwell's wife, Eileen, who was Eileen O'Shaughnessy. And uh, I could be mispronouncing that. What Anna Funder has done is she's wanting to tell the story of Eileen, George Orwell's wife. Anna Funder herself is a huge, or has been for all of her reading life, a huge George Orwell fan. So she's read um, Homage to Catalonia more than once. She's obviously loved Animal Farm and uh, 1984, but also his essays. She's been a huge fan of his work. And then she reads up about Eileen and there's actually been a biography published about Eileen some years ago. The other thing that happened was in 2005, some of Eileen's letters to her friend, uh, I think it was Lydia or Nora. She's got two friends she used to write to, Lydia and Nora. Some of her letters were discovered in 2005. So there's this new rich source of material of her actual life or her, her 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 thoughts what Anna Funder has done is she's decided that we need to really bring Eileen back and so part of this book is fiction but sticking very closely to the facts a bit like Column Toy Bean does of a, you know Eileen's story so there's this beautiful fictionalized intimate look at Eileen's life but Anna Funder also does give you a more straightforward biography in the interweaving sections, but also she gives you snippets of her own, of a what could be a memoir in itself of her own life, because she she's overtly sort of quite explicitly comparing how Eileen has been treated in the literature and by George Orwell in his own work with how women are treated today and the the position of being a wife and being the wife of an artist and being the support and being written out of history sometimes. She's comparing it with her own experiences um, in a way that it just works beautifully because she's such a clean writer. She's so fiercely intelligent and thoughtful. It Just from the first sentence, it really grabbed me. So I was reading another book and I put the other book down and I just haven't been able to stop reading this one. I Yeah, I just wanted to recommend it to you if you haven't read her work. But then I thought, I don't know if Sean reads nonfiction. I couldn't remember if you do much nonfiction.
1: I don't read a lot, but I'm reading more and more and certainly literary, literary biography is of increasing interest.
0: Yes, so I would classify it as a literary biography in a new form.
1: And I'm assuming that uh, George Orwell doesn't come off particularly well in this. Would it be safe to say he does not? Yes,
0: <laughs> I like
1: I like that.
0: Yes. Um, so, Wifedon by Anna Funder. Okay, Sean, what's your third book?
1: This is the one that I'm a little bit not nervous about, but this one is a bit of a marmite book, but. You and I are pretty marmighty. Like we tend to like stuff that nobody else likes or not like stuff that everybody else likes. So I think it's worth a gamble. <laughs> this was one of my top reads of maybe 2021 or something. A debut novel called The Recent East by Thomas Grattan, And like I say, published in 2021. We took a creative writing class from Michael Cunningham. Have you read anything by Michael Cunningham?
0: I haven't, but Michael just, uh, Michael Cunningham blurbed the transit of Venus and he okay. said, purely and simply, she, being Shirley Hazard, is one of the greatest writers working in English today.
1: Well, very interesting. Now, Michael Cunningham for many years was my favorite writer and I still, some of his books are my favorite books. And he's a beautiful writer. Um, he's probably most famous for The Hours, which was made into a movie, Virginia Woolf and all that. Anyway, so uh, Thomas Grattan's writing reminds me of Michael Cunningham's prose. This Ah. is a novel that is set in America and also in East Germany and in 1990 and closer to the present in the former East Germany. It's a bit of a theme in this episode, I think. It is. So uh, Thomas Grattan's. I think his grandmother fled East Germany as a caped over the Berlin Wall or whatever. So it's a little bit autobiographical, but it's not, I think, only lightly so. Our protagonist is Beata. Who one day, 1968, her parents say, We're escaping to the West. You have five minutes to pack a suitcase. And they escape to the West. What a lot of readers struggle with, but for me, what was one of the most fascinating things about the book is Beata's character. I have a, a full review. I'll send you the link if you want to put it in the show notes. There's no spoilers in it, I don't think. And then I also actually had Thomas Grattan on my channel and interviewed him. So two videos. And Thomas Grattan and I, we got along great he was happy that I like, we loved his book. But he didn't like it when I called his uh, protagonist, Beata, strange, or odd. And I, I thought she very much was, but in a way that I was fascinated by. Yeah. So just to give one or two examples, because... I have a theory
0: it, about that, but we'll come back to that. Oh,
1: great. I want to hear it. Um, I'll give you two examples and then leave it at that, because there's so much more to discover. But they end up in West Germany. And they are billeted at somebody's house, and the old lady has died. So the house is available, but it's still full of all of the old lady's stuff. And that dead old lady is Adela. And when when our protagonist, and she's about, I forget how old she is, 12, maybe something like that. When she's alone in the house, she dresses up in the old lady's clothes and prances around and looks at herself in the mirror. And then we jump to 1990, and she has been in America for decades. Her marriage is breaking up, and she has teenage children. And guess what her daughter's name is? Della! She named her daughter after this old lady that she never met, who she used to dress in her clothes. And that is almost all you need to know about Adela. But I'll give you one more. The boy is Michael, and he's maybe, I forget, maybe 18. And Adela's a year younger. The marriage, her marriage breaks up. It's not politically correct term anymore, but I'll use it, a nervous breakdown. It just kind of stops functioning. It's just after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and she gets a letter in the mail that the old family home that her parents vacated in 1968 is still there for the claiming. And she says to her kids, we're going, and they move to the former East Germany. They move into the house, and the mother, Beata, continues not to function and never comes out of her room except at night. The house is full of mice. There's no furniture in the house. Her teenage kids start exploring the neighborhood, and it's a kind of poverty-stricken area. Like, people have abandoned it for the West. Once the wall came down, there's all these empty, abandoned houses, and they start furnishing their house by bringing in stuff. And their mother just is just tuned right out. That doesn't last forever, and she does start to function again. And the progression of her character was just fascinating. Michael discovers he's gay and starts exploring. And that's a really beautiful part of the story. And all kinds of things about family relationships. I think maybe one of the other reasons that people don't like this is I'm not sure that transnational narratives work for every reader. Does that resonate for you? Does that make sense? I'm still puzzled why people don't like it.
0: I don't mind it at all. I think some of my favorite books cross- bound you know cross boundaries and into other countries
1: yeah because this is very much about that journey both going over the, to the west and then returning well it's not the east so much anymore but still returning and making new lives in a different culture yeah. i grew to love all of these characters and as they get connected to the community where they live the, uh this was at a time where neo-nazism was starting to rear its ugly head and so there's that becomes a theme in the novel. Thomas Grattan explores what it's like when somebody that you have grown to adore gets mixed up in all that crap and how, how awful that is and what moral, uh, what a moral challenge it is because you just come to love this person and then they get mixed up in it. They're in there just being influenced by the wrong people and they're not probably don't really agree with it, but they're just going along and, and and that was an incredible part of the story too but really for me compared to the other two this was primarily a character driven novel and i just loved Biata and her son yeah. michael and all the other characters it was just wonderful and beautifully written
0: it sounds like a more of a european sensibility than an american Which you did say they live partly in America, but it sounds a bit more European to me.
1: Yeah, the Europe, the German part of the story has a completely, almost completely different feel to the American.
0: Well, my theory on the strangeness of Beata is I think sometimes authors put more of themselves into their characters than they realise or they have a different take on it. So I've heard authors speak about when they're surprised that people think one of their characters is unlikable or sparky because they do things that are unsympathetic. And I always wonder if it's just the authors thinking, but I would do that, you know, what's wrong with that? And and they haven't right. realised how it, people perceive things differently. And it's without them realizing it, they're revealing a bit about themselves. Sometimes, not saying Thomas Grattan is strange, <laughs> but no, you know anyone but, uh, can yeah, be strange. I, strange in a good way is wonderful. You know anyone yeah, can be. Ex, mean, you're very
1: strange, Anna, and so am yeah. I.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love being. I would. I'd like to be stranger, Sean. You <laughs> know. Well, um, we got to
1: hang out more often. <laughs> the other thing that I'll mention is that I have a theory, like yours, about. Um, queer fiction gay male fiction in particular that the goodreads star rating is usually quite low for gay male fiction especially if it is explicitly sexual and this book very much is i don't mean that it reads like pornography it absolutely does not but it's a very full treatment of michael's sexual exploration as a young gay man who's just coming out and experiencing all of that the majority of readers are not gay men even of gay fiction i think and so i think that there's a Discomfort to be charitable, or outright homophobia, that people just don't like to read about it.
0: Yes, they're they're not used to reading about it. Perhaps
1: Uh, that was not the primary theme of the novel, but it was explored sensitively, um, graphically, and uh, really tenderly.
0: I found that with the late Americans by Brandon Taylor, which I absolutely loved, and the the scenes the where he addresses the intimacy between the characters was was so beautifully done and not titillating in any way, but they felt very true to life and they, yeah. it was true to the story, I suppose.
1: So this one, the recent East, very much worked for me. So Ooh. is this where we have to make a big decision?
0: These are tough decisions, Sean. Well, why don't I hand over to you first, while I I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking. Have you have you made a yes. t- decision?
1: Yes, I have. Uh, I've chosen this one. Uh, I'm going to go with YN by, I've forgotten the author's name.
0: Esther Yee.
1: Esther Yee. uh, Because it's going to be a nostalgic read for me about K-pop and how obsessed I got, uh, have been in the past. And it's also short, but it really appeals to me. All of three of them appeal to me. I thought that I would automatically go with the first one.
0: Transitive, Transitive
1: Venus. I thought I would automatically go with Shirley Hazard because I've been wanting to read her for years, and I think I still will. But yeah. I think maybe have we explained that we're going to come back for a part two?
0: Yes, we. W- so we will come back and discuss the books. That's right. We'll, so we'll
1: discuss the book we've chosen from each other's list. And so, yeah, if I will be ready, as I don't know how easy it will be for me to get my hands on this book, but it will be a fairly quick read, and I will read the other two in the fullness of time.
0: That's right. I think you will. And, you know, what if what if something happens, Sean, if you bail on YN, you have even more time to move on to one of the other two. Okay, That's so right. I think, but I hope that doesn't happen, but I'm, I'll be fascinated to hear your take on it. I think I'm going to go with, I'm almost going to do these, if I do read them all, just in the order that you've presented them. So I'm going to start with True Biz because I, I know that I like her work. So in a sense, yes. this is a safe choice in that way, because I've read Girl at War, but you sold it really well. And I think it will be challenging in a good way, because it's taking me into another language and another culture that I I don't have a, a lot to do with in my day to day life, but it, I'm really interested in. And she's a great storyteller. So I'm really sold on that one. I obviously want to read loop tracks because it's hard to find. (laughs) And, and, you know, again, you made it sound so uh, compelling. And the recent East as well, because also I love the cover of the recent East.
1: Yes, it's a really intriguing cover. And it does tie into one of the characters. It's a gorgeous
0: cover. So they all sounded very, very good. So I'll start with True Biz and let's see how we go from there. But when we come back, we will talk about YN by Esther Yee yes. and True Biz by Sarah Novich.
1: Michelle, how fun.
0: Yes. So stay tuned for that one. Thank you very much, Sean. This has been entertaining as always. And What a delight. I love hearing about these new books that I should have at least heard about, if not read by now, but this is This is what it's all about. There are always new ones to discover. So when we come back, we'll be doing YN and True Biz. But in the meantime, you can follow us on I'm on Instagram and Litzy at A Bailey Karis. and Sean. Where can people find you?
1: I'm Sean the (laughs) Bookmaniac on YouTube, and uh, I'm I don't use Litzy very much anymore. But uh, Sean Mooney on Litzy and on Twitter. And there's more, but that's enough, I think.
0: And you had a like shout that. out for your channel as well. Sean's well, on the as remark- well.
1: Yes, it's my channel's six-year anniversary on Saturday. And so I'm having book giveaways and also an opportunity for my viewers to submit videos that they make that I will put on my channel. So that information will be on my channel as of Saturday, September 9th
0: fantastic. So just we're recording this just before Saturday, but it will be up just after the ninth, I would guess. So and all when, of that will
1: run for the month of September.
0: So when you're listening, it will be up on Sean's channel now. Sean, the book maniac. Yes. Fabulous. Well, we will see you next time. Bye for now.